0: scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let me invite you to please stand as we read God's Word. John, chapter 14, it can be found on page 901 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. Jesus speaking, says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is God's word.
1: Well, thanks very much, Todd, and thank you for wonderful brass music uh, this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, that will help. Um, we're looking at John chapter 14, if we just had read out. I'll be referring to um, a few verses later in that chapter as well. So it's on the worship folder, but if you can reach for a Bible, um, if you don't have one in the, in the pew rack in front of you, that would help you, as I'll refer to a few verses after the passage we just had read out as well in the same chapter 14. Well, as so we come now to the Bible, let's pray. Our oh Lord, we uh, thank you that you have not left us without a communication. Uh, you have given us your Word. We pray, then, Lord, that you will grant us minds to grasp it and hearts to trust you and to trust your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who would you most like to have dinner with? If you could choose anyone, who would be your ideal dinner date? That question was uh, put to a group of consumers by an Australian food company recently. The resulting video has millions of YouTube hits. When the company asked parents who would be their ideal dinner date, some said uh, Justin Bieber. One said uh, Jimi Hendrix. All chose some celebrity or other. The company then had the parents sit down and watch a recording of the same question asked of their children. The children uh, looked at the camera, and one said, I'd most like to have dinner with the whole family together. Another said, "Uh, Does it really have to be a celebrity? They all wanted to have dinner with their families. Now, when you really think about it, the people you most would like to have dinner with are those that you really care about. Of course, if you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, there are certainly some interesting people to choose from. JFK would be a fascinating person to talk to over a meal, as would George Washington or Mahatma Gandhi. But that said, I suspect no dinner guest would surpass Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit down with Jesus and eat with him? Well, that's what's going on in our passage today. It's a dinner. Jesus is sitting down to eat with his friends and they're they're talking together. If you could sit down to a meal... With Jesus, what would be one of the first questions you'd want to ask him? My guess is that it would be the one we're looking at today, the gospel and other religions. And that is anyway exactly the subject that is being talked about here. In fact, there are three questions, two in the passage we just had read out, and one a little later in the same chapter 14, each of which asks exactly uh, these uh, most common questions that people ask about the gospel and other religions today. First, you have the question about how do we get to heaven. That is a salvation question, and Thomas asks it in verse 5. Then you have the question about, who is God? This is a same God question, and Philip asks it in verse 8. Finally, you have the question about, why us and not everyone else too? This is an exclusivity question, and Judas asks it in verse 22. So here we are at dinner with Jesus. The subject is the gospel and other religions. And the first question is how do we get to heaven in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Jesus has just told the disciples they do not need to be troubled in heart because while he's going to leave them soon, he's going to heaven to prepare a place for them, a mansion, an expansive villa of joy centered around his own presence. And uh, they know the way to this eternal paradise. Well, now Thomas immediately chirps up. He puts his hand up. He interjects in the flow of conversation around the dinner table and says, well, actually, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? This mansion of glory is opaque to them. You see, for Old Testament Jews, heaven was more of a mystery than it is to us who have Jesus' resurrection to show us the truth about eternal life. And even for us still, it's more than a little bit beyond our human imaginations. Where is heaven? And if we don't know where heaven is, how can we know how to get there? Jesus' answer is famous, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, I was uh, never a very good windsurfer, but there was a brief season in my life when I wanted to try to get better at it. My brother was quite a good windsurfer, and it looked an awful lot of fun. So one summer vacation, we were on a small island called the Isle of Wight, and I was windsurfing with a friend. We had hired windsurfers for the day, and I was learning more about how to windsurf in the sea. It was a beautiful day, blue sky, warm. I was feeling like I was getting the hang of it and happily tacking back and forth across the bay. I noticed, though, I was going further out to sea. Of course, there was an offshore breeze my friend uh, shouted to me that in order to get back in, I had to tack in in a certain kind of way and keep moving in back towards the land. I tried this for about an hour or so and I found I was only drifting further and further out, bit by bit. Eventually, I laid the sail down in the water and lay face down on the board and started trying to paddle back in, but now there was a bit of a current too and I was making no headway in towards land at all. In the end, my friend decided he had to help. He uh, jumped off his board, swam towards me, told me to swim back towards his board, got on my board, tacked it back into the shore, and then came back and did the same with his board. For a moment there, while I do not think my life was in imminent danger... I could see how in the not-too-distant future it would have been unless I had been rescued. That is what Jesus is saying here. If you want a single word to sum up the whole message of the Bible, it is rescue. Or as the theologians say, grace. To that extent, if I am honest, my title for the sermon this morning is actually theologically inaccurate. To say that we are talking about the gospel and other religions suggests that Christianity is one of the religions. But Christianity is not a religion at all. It is the antidote to religiosity. Christianity, uniquely among all other faith structures, is a rescue operation, not a religious technique to learn. The difference is between trying to learn how to windsurf and getting rescued when you start drifting out to sea. Religion is like trying to learn how to windsurf. There are certain techniques that you have to learn, and if you really try hard, you get better at it. But what the Bible is saying is that however hard we try, we all just keep um, drifting out to sea. It doesn't matter what techniques we try, we are just not that good at windsurfing. So, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, what he means is he is God's rescue operation. Once we have been rescued and are no longer in imminent danger of of drowning, then we can start to learn how to windsurf with God's help. But the message of the Bible, Jesus is saying, is a personal rescue operation. I am the way to the Father. Not... Learn these three rules and you can get to the Father if you really work hard at it. Quickly then comes the second question. Who is God? Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, uh, show us the Father and it is enough for us. (laughs) It's tempting when you uh, hear this question to want to put the dunce cap on uh, Philip after that question, isn't it? Back of the class, Philip. Philip. But to be fair, it is a difficult concept to grasp, which is why Jesus is very direct in his reply. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, people think if there is only one God then surely people who are saying they are worshipping God are worshipping the same God. But, says Jesus, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In uh, England, very few people are called Josh. In fact, I don't think I have ever met anyone else from England called Josh. In America, of course, it's quite a common name. If you went on Facebook and did a search for Josh Moody, quite a number of different individuals would pop up. If you met someone who said they knew me, but you weren't sure you were talking about the same Josh Moody, you could do a Facebook search. When a picture of me came up, you could look at that picture, and if you were talking about the same Josh Moody, you would say, oh yes, that's the same Josh Moody. Similarly, Jesus is saying, if you want to know what the Father God is like, you look at Jesus. If someone then looks at Jesus and says, oh, yes, th- th- that's the same. That's what I mean by God. Then you are worshiping the same God. But if someone looks at Jesus and says, oh, no, that's not what I mean by God. Then you are not worshiping the same God I was uh, doing uh, some teaching in a university in a Muslim country when I arrived at the airport to find uh, that my contact was nowhere to be seen, and so I was wandering around the airport for a little while, and someone I knew from a previous trip spotted me, and invited me to stay in his student dormitory. Well, I tagged along, and the next morning I observed him performing the uh, morning religious rituals of a Muslim right there in front of me in the room where I was staying. Once he had done, I started exploring up and down the corridor, knocking on doors and saying hi to students. And After a while, another student invited me in for a cup of coffee. We sat on the floor and talked for a little bit. It was an Iranian dormitory. Once we had got acquainted, uh, the Iranian student asked me whether I was from the West When I confirmed that I was, he asked me whether I was a Christian. I said, yes. He said, good. I've been praying that God would send me someone to tell me about Jesus. I may not be Billy Graham, but I can spot an evangelistic opening like that. (laughs) And uh, so I shared the gospel of Jesus. He became a Christian. Later that week, I discovered there was a secret Iranian Christian disciple in the dormitory too. And we spent many happy hours together sharing the gospel of Jesus with his friends. There is no doubt that there are people in other countries, other faiths, who are longing for the truth we have that truth and that is why as a church we invest so massively in missions that is why we as a church are outreach orientated god has a plan to reach the world And that plan involves us loving our neighbors, to tell them about Jesus, invite them to church, speak the gospel clearly when we're gathered together, so that when they come to worship, they may see Jesus, and therefore also worship God, saying, God is truly among you. So the first question is the salvation question. How do you get to heaven? And the answer is that it is by God's rescue operation in Jesus. The second question is the same God question. Who is God? And the answer is that when you see Jesus, you see God too. The third question is the most tricky. And it comes now from Judas. Not Judas Iscariot. This third question is the exclusivity question, or why us and not everyone else, Two. It's in verse 22. You'll find it just after the passage we had read out in your Bibles. I'll read it for us as well. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world so judas is asking why is it that jesus will show himself to them and not also to everyone else as well well this is the uh, most common question that people ask about the gospel and other religions today too um, I remember when I was doing a, a question and answer session in a bar, being asked a version of this question. The person said to me, If you believe that your God is the only God, uh, how, how come that is not just being arrogant? Well, if you look at it uh, in a certain kind of way, it does sound very arrogant. Imagine faith in Jesus was like faith in your favorite baseball team. Imagine you were to say that not only were the Cubs the best baseball team in Chicago, but the whole world. And not only that, but you were going to execute a sporting mandate that uh, from here on, no other baseball team was legitimate. And you were going to put together a missionary organization to go and proselytize fans of all the other baseball teams with the goal of their being one global, worldwide Cubby Bear faith. Now that would seem absurd, especially if you are a White Sox fan. But not only that, but also, if you were really to try and do it, dangerous in addition to being arrogant. But that is not what we are saying. Listen to how Jesus replies to this exclusivity question, why us and not everyone else too, In verse 23 I'll read it out for us verse 23 Jesus answered him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him in other words Jesus is saying that the right way to think about the exclusivity question is not sports franchise or even propositional truth on its own, but relationship. This is how the Bible has told the story since the beginning. We are made to be in relationship with God. We were made in the image of God. We all rebelled against God, and God in His mercy clothed us and protected us from His wrath at our rebellion. Actually, in the Old Testament, God uses the language of a lover wooing his cheating wife to explain the relationship that He wants to have with us and what it will cost Him to regain that relationship. When you think of the exclusivity question, don't think of a sports franchise or picking your favorite team. Think of a marriage. Think of a wife or husband cheating. Would you say to a wife who discovered her husband cheating on her, why are you so angry? Do you have any right to be angry? Stop being so exclusive. No. This is
0: love.
1: An exclusive love for which we were made. Now, of course, people still say, well, what about those who've never heard? To my mind, the Bible says very little, if anything, about that question. And the reason for that is the Bible is a book written for those who will read it. The reality is, most people who ask the question, what about those who have never heard, have by definition themselves heard. Otherwise, they could not ask the question. It is, in other words, a theoretical question often used to put off a personal decision. But for those who do hear, who love God, when they hear about Jesus, they will love Jesus and follow his teaching. They will hear of him who died for them, who took their punishment that they deserved in his body on the tree. And they will love him and follow him and will go to the ends of the earth proclaiming how great is our God. It is love, not rules. And if you love God then you will follow his teaching. So, in other words, to summarize the theme, the gospel and other religions is an inaccurate statement of the matter. The gospel is not one among other religions. More accurately, we should say, the gospel and other. Religions. But if I had put the title like that, you would have been confused because it's not how we have framed the subject. It is time to reframe the subject. Given the story of the Bible, a love story of a lover wooing his cheating wife, a rescue operation... We can no longer even have a category to object that it's not fair that salvation is only through Jesus. Fairness, my friend, is judgment. We are adrift at sea on the windsurf board of our lives in increasingly imminent danger of drowning. God has sent his rescue operation. That rescue is not our right or what we deserve. Well, we have cheated against God's love. What, what we deserve is judgment. But what God offers instead is rescue, grace, mercy. Not a religion at all. The gospel, the good news, in the person of the Redeemer himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, tell others about Jesus. They need to be rescued too. Let's pray together. Our oh Lord, uh, we pray that you would help us to do that. To uh, take our courage in both hands and uh, write a uh, note to invite a friend to church, to um, put on our prayer list two friends who don't yet know you and pray for them each day. Lord, we pray for the many ways we as a church are getting after this. We pray for our backyard Bible clubs this summer. Uh, the Summer Institute of uh, Children's Ministry this summer, our mission trips and missionaries, our evangelists, our small groups, our personal connections. Lord, would you by your Spirit breathe life into our many conversations, prepare Hearts open doors. Lord, uh, we also pray for some here this uh, morning who perhaps do feel adrift at sea on the windsurf board of their lives. Perhaps that's you feels like you've tried every technique gone to every seminar tried to obey every rule and yet you keep drifting out to sea my dear friend what you need is rescue. Would you trust in Jesus now? Lord, I pray that by uh, your sovereign power you would open hearts and give the great gift of your spirit for regeneration. Grant faith unto life. Lord, we pray as we come now to sing about the wonders of Jesus that we would all be thrilled that we have Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.